0: Hello! It's been a while. Thanks for your patience, everyone. Um, what, a, what a wild and crazy time we're living in, am I right? Um, my own personal life, on top of actually living through a plague, which I honestly never thought that would be a sentence I'd utter in my lifetime, just had a lot of like family stuff going on and getting adjusted to my new quarantine schedule has been a little interesting, a little rough, um, so I know that we've been kind of slacking on putting out content, but slowly finding a new normal and so hopefully we can bring you some relatable content uh in in happier updates i have a new co-host. ah, sorry guys. I have a new co-host. She's a little uh more clumsy than the last one. Her name is Freya. Um so if you hear a little jingle or my mic suddenly gets a little wonky, it's because she's decided to snuffle in it um or we'll knock it over all together. Freya's a dog, by the way. Um yeah, you know, a uh, little rusty, feeling a little rusty, getting back into the swing of things. Um, so let's dive into what you really came to talk, to hear about. Uh, this week, the audio is going to be super rough. Uh, my apologies. We'll fix that. Um, This week we're going to focus on a a great meal, super simple one-pot meal, feeds a ton of people, freezes very easily, is delicious the longer it sits. That's right, folks, it's time for the stew. So most of the research for today's episode came from uh, Food and History by Ray Tannehill. Honestly, it's a wonderful, short, comprehensive volume um, of different food types and their place in history and how they've really shaped humanity. And it's fantastic. It's a great starting off point for a lot of foods. I used it in the bread episode. Um, But in the terms of stews, it was almost the only place that I could get really a comprehensive um, amount of information. And I stumbled upon it really by pure chance. Uh, My favorite, one of my favorite coffee shops um, has a lending library or like a give, take a book, leave a book situation. So I had dropped some books off, saw this, saw that it was food, saw that it was history. It was like, that's perfect. And honestly, it has quickly become one of my favorite resources you know I'm I'm constantly flipping through it and highlighting it and notating it and I'm coming back to it again and again um if you are looking for a book to add to your quarantine list I highly recommend it um beautiful writing uh, wonderful illustrations you know I can't cannot recommend it enough so what is a stew? Um, I've seen various definitions across the place. My favorite was uh, two or more ingredients boiled in a liquid, which could honestly just be soup. I think for myself, I consider a stew essentially a thick soup. Like a split-piece soup, I I guess in my book, by my definition, would constitute a stew. Um So I kind of let that definition guide my research, and by that definition, we've literally been eating stew or soup since the beginning of time. Um, The first stews were mostly seafood-based, more like a soup than a stew, and tended to be clams and different kinds of mollusks that you could boil um, in their own shells. Um, as we hadn't yet invented cookware or cookery. Then later, as uh, we developed different methods of boiling, one is very similar to the Southern, um, a Southern technique for barbecue, which was to dig a large pit in the ground, line it with rocks, um, seal it with um, smaller rocks, you know, make sure it's really airtight that it will hold water, fill it with water, And then drop boiling rock, uh, drop hot rocks into it so that the water would come to a boil. It's not clear exactly how you would manipulate the rocks from the fire into the pit that you had dug. um, Maybe a couple of sticks and rolling it. But once you got the water boiling, you could drop in different bits of seafood or meat um, and have have a soup. And then as you know, we progressed to hunting larger and larger animals, we moved towards um, the predecessor of haggis, which was to take cuts of meat from an animal that had a stomach or a set of intestines that lent well to um, boiling, to, to be boiled or to provide a, a, a What's that word? It starts with a V. You put stuff in a vessel. <laughs> Sorry, guys, it's late. That provided a vessel to really allow hunters to be able to to cook on the go. And it was nice because you didn't have to worry about lugging around a huge pot or, you know, making sure that you can carry... Th- really, you didn't have to carry anything. It, it, the animal that you were killing um, to eat provided, you know, a, a great receptacle for cooking in as well and it honestly brings a whole new look for head to toe. And so uh, an early stew or an early haggis, depending on how you want to look at it, was a little bit of the blood of an animal, a little bit of the entrails, cuts of meat boiled in this in the stomach or part of the intestines and then eaten, obviously you would eat the stew. Sorry. so that fed a lot of people it was it was a huge meal and typically it um it was only prepared and this is unclear as to what group of people this information is talking about just said early humanity but typically um this was only a meal prepared by um hunters that were traveling through another tribe or group of people's land and they would do it as a thank you for hosting us thank you for allowing us to stay with you please you you know enjoy this feast Um, around the same time uh, in Asia different kinds of boiling uh, techniques I guess uh, were coming about simultaneously. Um, bamboo was hollowed out, sealed at one end with clay, filled with meat scraps and liquid, and then sealed at the the other end, and then placed in a fire, allowed it to bring to boil, and the soup was um, created in that way. Many Native Americans, um, most notably the Adobe peoples, um, according to Miss Tannehill, um, would build in a stone cauldron into the hearth of the home. And, you know, soups, stews, all of the cooking was done in that cauldron. The downside to this wonderful pot of food, um, sorry, household pot, is that it was not easily moved. Um, anytime you moved to a new location, you had to carve out a new one. Um, and so it was quite heavy. Um and you know, as time went on, we as a species invented clay pots and then iron pots and um by the time we get to the middle ages, we've gone we've taken this idea um actually unclear how how this idea spread, but we've gone back in in at least in the medieval Eastern. Let me try again. (laughs) The medieval Europeans also took this idea of always having something on the fire, always cooking, um, and always had a pot uh, going, a pot simmering on the fire throughout the day. And as, as meat was caught or hunted or fished um, It would be dropped into the pot with whatever scraps of vegetables you might have uh, And you know as time went on it might have thickened into what we would call a stew and it's not any particular recipe it was honestly just whatever meat was on hand and because they didn't have re- refrigeration, it was just constantly cooking. And you know, anytime you put liquid in a pot and constantly have it under a steady boil, it is going to thicken up. It is going to reduce um, and, and become this nice, beautiful, stewy texture. And these pots were just always going. In fact, the only time they were ever emptied out and cleaned was around uh, Easter, when the medieval Christians would abstain from eating red meat. So they would clean the pots out, um, start it over with a new liquid and new seasonings, and only boil fish for that week. And, you know, after Easter, they wouldn't then clean it out and add meat. They would just add meat on top of that. So you would go from like a seafood stew and then slowly transition back into a rabbit or a deer stew or whatever meat would be caught and brought in. And this was something really only for well-to-do households. The common people would have also had a similar kind of pot, uh, but it would definitely have been something way more watery, more vegetable-based, not as heavily meat-based as they simply could not afford it um, or did not have the time to catch it. Or if they did have meat, it was, you know, much smaller game. Uh, Rabbits, moles, uh, small rodents. Um, And so stews continue on. Uh we we come out of the medieval age and move into the late 1400s. Which honestly, I think that is the same Sorry guys. Totally got lost in my notes. The eighteen hundreds. So, um, as we enter into the Industrial Revolution, the poor are still finding it quite difficult to be able to afford sustenance, and this this idea of an ever-lasting stew pot is still very present, especially in the English minds. And honestly, if it were possible for me to just always have a pot simmering on the back burner, I would do it. It's it's fantastic. Can you imagine how rich that stock would be? It would be honestly the most amazing thing I can think of. So poor industrial workers, you know, weren't really eating richly. Um, didn't have a lot of meat in their diets, but they did have a roast or a stew on Sundays. This was often for a lot of very, very poor families, the only time they would get this much protein in a meal. And that that roast or that stew could be drawn out to last throughout the week and led to the invention of many other kinds of recipes to kind of discuss. Guys, that roast or that stew as it got, you know, more gross towards the end end of the week there, including Bubble and Squeak, which we're not gonna go into much here, but hopefully um we'll be able to have an episode um dedicated to repurposing foods and leftovers, um, because it is it's honestly a beautiful way of transforming something that you don't think is quite edible and really breathing new life into old food. Um this this stew moved from being mostly a, a poor man's stew into really uh, a, sorry, a poor man's food into being part of this elaborate A five to six course meal as um, French cuisine took over. Often there would be two or three different kinds of stews or stewed meats um, in the meal. And then when the Great War came around, um, housewives found that a great way of increasing rations was to build a stew or to build a stock. Um, I was gifted MFK Fisher's How to Cook a Wolf for Christmas and it is, besides being beautifully written, it's very appropriate in this time, um, this book is all about how to make the what little you have go longer. And I know that many of us are trying to draw out the time between trips to the grocery store or are having difficult times, uh difficulty booking times for grocery delivery i know myself it's pretty much non-existent you know this is uh, grocery delivery overnight essentially went from a, a nice luxury to an essential thing so the question is how do you purchase food, not in bulk, because if you live in a city like me, you don't really have room in your fridge to be storing all those ingredients anyway. But really, you still want to keep a variety in your diet and you want food that's not going to taste gross the next day, that's going to last a while. The answer is stew. And there's an entire chapter uh, of, of soups, and stews and you know how to make a little bit go longer it's called how to boil water um and amazing if if you can pick up this book or get this book from your library it's honestly full of a lot of great recipes that can you know withstand the test of time and are delicious and really require very little ingredients to be delicious. Um, I definitely foresee us coming back to some of these recipes throughout, um, our pandemic broadcasting. So without further ado, I just want to get into the recipe for this week, which comes straight out of MK Fisher's How to Cook a Wolf and is sure to be delicious is sure to not take very many ingredients and to fill you with warmth and you know that wonderful feeling of being industrious in a difficult time unless that's just me i love feeling like that let's get into the recipe The recipe for this week is a basic minestrone soup. In introducing the soup, MFK Fisher writes, Always, though, it is a thick, unsophisticated soup, heartwarming and soul-staying, full of aromatic vegetables and well-bound at the last with good cheese. This soup is an economical one, partly because it is even better the second or third day than it was the first, and what may have seemed, a rather long cooking time really averages but a few minutes for each serving. Onions, garlic, potatoes, and young cabbage are almost always in the markets or in your own vegetable bins, and any other vegetables in season may be added with impunity. The recipe goes as such. Half a pound bacon or salt pork or fat ham. One small onion, chopped. One stalk, chopped celery. One handful, chopped parsley. If you cannot a- obtain uh, fresh parsley in this time, just a good shake of dried parsley. MFK Fisher would not fault you at all. Two cups of tomatoes peeled. One teaspoon of fresh basilico which is optimal optional but nice she notes one teaspoon of oregano also optional and one teaspoon of sweet basil again optional but nice soften onion in heated meat fat add celery parsley and herbs and stir for 10 minutes to make a glaze adding a little water if necessary to keep from sticking add the tomato stirring constantly and taking care not to burn stir in two or three quarts of water add a little mace if you like it I believe that uh, is referring to red pepper uh, blend of paprika and um, chili pepper Put in at least the first five of the following vegetables through the fine grinder of the vegetable chopper, or cut them the um, vegetable chopper, meaning the food processor. Or cut them not too finely. Let them simmer until tender and mash them well with a potato masher before you add any pasta. These are the vegetables: two large onions, one potato, skin and all, one or two cloves of garlic one half small cabbage three carrots six stalks of celery some spinach she says just a big handful and some green beans just a big handful if you can't find cabbage or carrots or celery or any one of these greens honestly this this soup is mostly just about vegetables get any vegetable that you think might taste good in the soup together and put it in Bring the whole thing slowly to a boil and let simmer until the vegetables are very tender. Add some pasta 20 minutes before serving if you like, not until the next day if you plan to use the minestrone more than once. Turn the soup ferociously and serve over thin toasted bread or not, but always with a good ample bowl of grated dry cheese to sprinkle upon each serving as the pleased human who eats it may desire. If you do not add the cheese, and you do not add the pasta, you can also portion the soup and it will freeze rather nicely. A little bit of a shorter episode today, unfortunately the history of of stew and of soup is pretty straightforward. Uh, which makes sense. You know, one of the first cooking methods, what's boiling in it, it does follow that if you just throw things in boiling water, you will quickly have a stew or a soup. Um, next week, hoping to perhaps have a guest on and dive into something a little bit more complicated, but equally delicious, I'm going to put up the recipe for the minestrone soup on the website and we'll post links um, for where to purchase the books used in today's research also on the website um, follow us on Instagram at uh, Blunder Kitchen for lovely pics of just stew in general um, like us on or, uh, sorry <laughs> like us on any of your you know wherever you listen to us give us give us a review you know now is a time when people are looking for recipes we have more time to cook help us get out there we want to get into more homes want to be able to do more for you guys and if you have anything that you want to hear about in particular drop us a line send us an email DM us comment below our post We'd love to hear from you. Stay safe, guys. And wash your hands. Stop touching your face. We're going to get through this.